everyone. Welcome to the Peds Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood with information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field. My hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Welcome to this week's episode where I am welcoming Jenny West Mayer. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we are talking all about setting boundaries with family members. So grandparents, loved ones, it can be such a touchy subject, but we are going to hash out some of the main issues that I see as a pediatrician and she sees as a therapist today. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Oh, I'm so happy to be here and to talk about boundaries, one of my favorite things. I am so grateful that you messaged me. Um, I had put up a plea on my Instagram at Pete's Dog Talk for someone, for someone to come on my, my podcast to talk about these things. And Jenny DM me and we connected through email and we're just so excited to talk about all these amazing topics that a lot of my followers actually um, messaged me about. So we'll be going through all of that. But before we start, tell me more about yourself and your training and what, what drew you to become a licensed marriage and family therapist. All right. So I am located in San Diego, California, and I attended undergrad and graduate school here. And part of your training in graduate school was to work at a site. And I was placed at our local children's hospital in the psychiatry department. And so there I really got to see the ins and outs of how the entire system impacts the mental well-being of a child and a family. So after I finished my time at the hospital, I worked in school-based settings, community-based settings, and then back at the hospital in clinic-based settings. Um, And currently I'm working in private practice and trying to balance the fine line of being at home with two children and seeing my clients via telehealth. Ooh, and that is a fine line so many of us are dealing with right now. So from your personal expertise, I know this conversation will be helpful in so many ways. Um, Why do you think we as adults have such a hard time creating boundaries with our family members? I found the most perfect Brene Brown quote to just summarize it, but we're going to talk extensively about it. So she says, daring to set boundaries is about having the courage to love ourselves even when we risk disappointing others. And I think the root of us having trouble sending boundaries is we do not want to disappoint people, especially Mm -hmm. our family members. Disappointing our family members is very uncomfortable. So a lot of times when we set boundaries, we may feel like we're being mean or we're being insensitive to others. We may find ourselves feeling very guilty because we're setting boundaries. And a lot of that's rooted in this fear of disappointment. So one thing, um, just starting off, if it feels safe, let your family know that you don't want to disappoint them. I need to set this boundary. And at the same time, I don't want to disappoint you in this. And acknowledge that it's uncomfortable. Acknowledge the discomfort um, and kind of accept that we're going to have this discomfort. One thing I was talking about, um, one of my dear friends, and she's also a therapist, is she was talking about this great analogy she uses with the families she works with. She says, you cannot expect a person to walk into a room with the lights off and then not run into furniture. Mm -hmm. So our job 
is to communicate our boundaries. Our job is to show them where the furniture is so that when they walk in this dark room, they don't fall over. Um, Because it's so much easier to front load and talk about the boundaries you have than react in the moment when someone's already crossed your boundaries and you're so upset and you're triggered and you're not thinking properly. Love Brene Brown and I love her quotes and that just really sums up a lot of what I think we're going to be talking about. And I'm sure as a marriage and family therapist, you may see this, but do you think the lack of boundary setting with relatives leads to problems in a family? This is obviously very important stuff that we that we have a conversation about, correct? Oh, yeah. The the lack of boundaries is a universal problem. You can see it in every single setting, but with a family, it's just much more emotional. So it can cause problems with our relatives. And as a parent, it causes problems with our children. So it's a fine balance that we need to find between setting a boundary and like letting things go. So one rule I like to follow when it comes to setting boundaries with your family members is discussing ahead of time what's important with your partner. What's a big non-negotiable item? What's a boundary that we really can be flexible about? So the ones that we need to hold on to and set firmly and the ones that we can be a little more flexible about. So an example of that that I've recently encountered is um, in my house, I don't want us to function on gender roles and how people should act. So boys don't cry. You need to man up. You're acting like a sissy. Um, This is just one that I've set a firm boundary on. Uh, And it can be hard when our family members cross those boundaries, especially when it comes to, again, going back to not wanting to disappoint our family members. Do you find that most of the problems come with um, a parent and the and the child's grandparent? Correct. A lot of times, or well, and um, a lot of multi generational families living together. So mm-hmm. it may be grandparents, it may be auntie, um, not necessarily respecting the limitations that are set or trying to supersede the limitations that have been set. But yes, oftentimes with grandparents. Um, trying to do their best, but crossing those boundaries. And I think this is an important conversation because, and I asked that question earlier, that the lack of boundary setting can lead to problems because people sometimes think, well, let me just avoid boundary setting because I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want to, you know, cause problems, but it's the alternative that the lack of actually discussing issues and the lack of setting healthy boundaries with your loved ones, including your parents, for example, can lead to more problems, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot of anticipatory anxiety around setting boundaries. So I'm anticipating Mm -hmm. they're not going to respect this. I'm anticipating I'm going to hurt their feelings. I'm anticipating this is not going to go well, but when you actually set the boundary and it's, and it's respected, that anxiety is so unnecessary. And it's so much easier to deal with that temporary anticipatory anxiety instead of that um, big blow up that can happen when boundaries are crossed and you feel so violated and you feel so misunderstood. And sometimes safety or um, family values aren't respected. And you mentioned briefly that it can cause relationship issues between 
um, the, the parent and the grandparent, but it also can cause problems with the parent and the child. So what are some ways that lack of boundary setting can affect the parent-child relationship or even just child behavior in general? Absolutely. So I think it's important for us to talk about like how every family has a different set of family culture and values. And so being mindful of that, grandparent and parent will have different values. Um, but what can happen is a child becomes incredibly confused when the parents hold one boundary and family members hold another boundary. So when it comes to children, it really goes back to picking those big items that you need to hold on to and be, and what becomes a more flexible boundary that we can be, um, lenient about or um, not as rigid about. One thing that I wanted to talk about, though, was um, when children may have problematic behavior, because I think uh, families tend to address these differently. And so I think safety issues or uh, actions that significantly violate your your values are when we need to start talking about that when it comes to children. So I have a perfect example of this. My three-year-old son pinched his cousin who's one years old, and he couldn't tell us what was going on because he's a one-year-old. Um, and I know that his mom dreaded coming to talk to me about how my son had pinched his cousin. Mm -hmm. And so I was so grateful that my cousin came to talk to me, even though I know it was so incredibly hard for her coming into me talking about um, how I violated her values. And so I felt awful or she felt awful coming to talk to me. And I felt so incredibly grateful that she came to talk to me about this uncomfortable thing that happened or this uncomfortable boundary violation that my son inflicted that I would have had no idea about had she not come and talked to me about the actions my son had taken. So this is a situation, especially when it comes to a child's behavior, where the boundary should have been set. My son should not be pinching. And it was so important for me to know that. And so um, for ch child's behavior, maybe if someone's being a little loud and you don't really like how loud they're being, that could be something that we're flexible about. But when it comes to safety, as uncomfortable as it is, or as worried as you are about hurting the other parent's feelings, it's it's pivotal, pivotal for you to let the parent know, hey, your child is crossing this safety boundary. Um, I really need you to intervene. That is so important. And especially as a pediatrician, I love that you're talking about the safety boundary, you know, going up on that tier of you know, essential non-negotiable boundaries you mentioned, because, you know, I think we'll get into a little bit when you're meeting a grandparent or, you know, obviously the grandparent is living with you or visiting. There are so many things that you can learn to let go, but the safety stuff, I, as a pediatrician always will say, you have to be adamant about safety stuff. So a child has to go into a car seat. There has to be safe sleep. There has to be, you know, certain things that they can't eat, you know, honey shouldn't be given like under one, you know, there's certain things <laughs> safety wise that we just want to do. And it's not a lot of stuff. If you think about it, I mean, there's some things that I, even as a pediatrician, I let go a lot of where others who are not in the medical field will be like, I would never let my kid do that. Um, <laughs> like, like germ stuff, right? Like I'll let, you know, Ryan, I don't really care much about like just basic germs in the house where others might, but it's the, it's the non-negotiable safety things that can be really life-threatening. And, you know, car seats is one of those things that our parents' generation 
strapped us into the car or just, you know, put us in the back seat. <laughs> and they were like, well, you survived. But obviously that's not, we know now with research on car safety and car seats, how important that is. But I love, love, love that you mentioned that because it is important to look at the safety things and you brought pinching up, even though people may not think that's a safety thing, because they may think more of the big things like car seat or safe sleep. It's something that if we didn't know about or didn't remedy, we can't change that child's behavior. Absolutely. I think when we feel afraid or we feel hesitant to communicate about certain um, things, such as the pinching, uh, we miss these incredible teachable moments that we can uh, give our children, that we can set in place. Even we, we could say we could give teachable moments to any family member when we recognize that a boundary has been crossed and we are feeling a certain way and we talk about it and we acknowledge it, we're able to make some really good changes and communicate effectively that if we felt too shy or too worried about, we would absolutely miss. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a few things already, like ways that we can maybe start in creating boundaries with our let's use grandparents as an example, the, the child's grandparent. So I know you mentioned, you know, looking at your non-negotiables, but also talking to your partner before that interaction will happen with grandparents. What are some other basic first steps in creating those boundaries with grandparents? Oh man. So I think clear communication is so important. So if you have a comfortable relationship with the grandparents that you're going to be around or whatever family member, clearly communicating the boundaries is key to set the foundation for, I mean, any relationship. So it's important for you to first check in with yourself and figure out what are these boundaries? What are these values that I have and why are they important to me? So what's, what's setting me off? What is really pivotal to me? What is not as important to me? So that when you are able to clearly communicate your boundaries with the grandparents, that you understand the reason why. Because some people may push back. They may question, well, why do you feel that way? Why do you have that boundary? And sometimes we react emotionally and we don't even know. And so just really checking in with yourself first is really important because, again, people may test that boundary. Why? What's going on? Uh, remember that as much as we wish other people were, they're not mind readers. So we can't read their minds and they can't read our minds. So if we want to have boundaries with our grandparents, with the grandparents, we really do need to step one, clarify what are our boundaries and why we have them. And step two, communicate those boundaries clearly. Um, all, like especially limitations. Uh, I know grandparents really want to grandparent to their fullest. And sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes it is a boundary that needs to be set. Um, so again, going back to where is that, where can we be flexible and where do we need to draw a hard line? I know that over the holidays, there are a ton of expectations and every single family member has different expectations. And this year is going to be especially different with COVID and travel restrictions, and some cities going on lockdown again. So really clarifying expectations and giving plenty of warning about that. But I want to talk about COVID specifically later on. Some families have certain expectations and feel incredibly disappointed when those aren't met. So to 
save a lot of unintentional hurt, front loading as much information as you can in the boundaries um, is really important. So, um, especially with grandparents and also having an open conversation about the boundaries you set to check in with the grandparents or family members. How do you feel about this boundary I set? Do you have any questions? Um, here's where there's wiggle room. Here is where there is no wiggle room. So for like one thing in our house, and this is just our house, um, an hour before bedtime, my son does not watch anything with a screen. And that's just a rule I have. And I know it's pretty hard for grandparents when he asks to watch Blippi to hold on to. But it's one that I ask that they do hold on to. And again, that's a, that's a boundary we have in our family. Some other families may have no big deal, no problem with Blippi being on an hour before bed. That is a great example. You know, I love that screen time is a really good one because um, there is usually uh, intergenerational issues with with screen time. Um, you brought up two comments that I wanted to talk about. One of them was asking the relative if they have questions about the boundary. I think that's really important. I actually talk about that a lot too, that, you know, it's okay to kind of in a way include them in the conversation, right? It's not like, hey, this is what's going to happen and you're just going to deal with it. It's like, do you have questions about this? What are your comments about it? And having that sort of, like you said, open communication is so key. And then the other thing from a psychological perspective, which I always think about, um, you mentioned kind of looking inside yourself and seeing, well, what is this boundary? Why am I creating this boundary? Is also looking at the triggers that our our parents can have on us, right? So I talk about, you know, as an adult, if you had a parent who told you not to cry or was in some way with your emotions or um, commented on your weight or commented on X, Y, and Z when you were a child, when you are an adult now raising your own child, um, that parent who's now a grandparent saying those things to your child can, it can trigger you. Right. Absolutely. Meaning you get so upset and it's like you all of a sudden, if you're like in this world where you're like, wait, what's happening? Am I, I'm reliving my childhood negatively through my own child, which can be really hard. And I kind of say, it's almost to the point when you hear a comment from your parent, it's almost like if your friend said that same comment, like one of your best girlfriends, would you also be upset is kind of how I describe it. Cause it was a, it was a practice because I realized sometimes it was the fact that I'm triggered by my own parents and they say something, which if anyone else said it, I probably would have been fine, but because they're doing it or they're saying it all of a sudden, I'm so upset about it. And I think that understanding takes a lot of time because when you start to realize those triggers from our childhood, it can really help a lot in saying, you know what, I can actually let this go, or this is actually not okay. This is a boundary I need to fight for. Uh, because you can kind of realize that I, there may be a lot of things I can let go because it's just something I'm triggered by when it's actually may not be a deal breaker or a non-negotiable or something like that, you know? Absolutely. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs 
and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals, chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor Meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor Meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Every single family has intergenerational patterns and intergenerational triggers. And so to, to be aware of those is only beneficial. And so now what I wanted to do, because I, we've kind of sit, set the stage here on what we want to talk about and how important boundaries are with family members. And I know I'm speaking about grandparents a lot, you know, because that's just what I commonly get asked about. Um, but this is not just for grandparents. This can apply to any family member. But what I had done was on my Instagram, I put up a story, uh, story box and I asked my followers, well, what are some concerns or difficulties you have in setting boundaries. So we're going to actually go through a few examples and Jenny's going to kind of talk about what, you know, she would recommend. And we're just going to have a conversation about that. So the first one I have is how can we communicate to our parents when they say, well, we raised you and things turned out well. So how can we make them understand that things are just different now versus then, or maybe we're just different now and we don't want to do what was done back in the day. All right. So Man, are things different from when I was being raised? My mom tells me all the time how different things were. (laughs) Um, But I think the first place to start when your parents say something like that is to affirm the job that your parents did with you. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge their point of view. And um, again, let them know, you did a great job with me. Um, You did such a good job. Can you trust my judgment? But again, hear their point of view and then ask them to respect the parenting choices that that you're making. So I know sometimes you may affirm them and acknowledge their point of view and set the boundary and they may not respect that. So um, you could say, you know what, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, tia, auntie, whoever is this, um, we have so much more information and access to information than we did when you were raising us. So acknowledging, hey, I know you have a good, I know you have these good intentions. This is my boundary. And this is why I set my boundary. So I know um, back is best is now the way that babies are supposed to sleep. 
And I've been told by so many aunts and my parents, oh, we used to just put you on your tummy. Like you slept great on your tummy. And so having to explain, well, back is best. This is the reason why made it so much easier to set that limit because I kind of got to um, pass the buck on to uh, science, right? Science says that this is not safe. And so this is why I'm doing it. Another thing that is really important to keep in mind when parents will say, well, we raised you, why this is how you are, is to keep in mind that every child and really humans in general have different temperaments. So just Mm -hmm. because this worked for me and this is how you worked with my brother doesn't mean that this will be the best thing for my child. Um, And children even have different needs. Uh, Some kids need more food. Some kids need less food. And um, another thing to remind them of is that um, trends change constantly. So even from when I had my son almost four years ago, when I want to have my daughter, certain things change. Um, and so I can't imagine what a 30 year difference is like for them to, so to acknowledge, Hey, things, things have changed. Um, and then to remind our parents, grandparents, whoever it may be that just like they did and are still doing, we are doing the best we can as parents with the information and the experience that we have. So really affirm, acknowledge, set your limit. And then if you need to provide background information to why you set that limit. That is so amazing. And I think that is just so inclusive, right? I mean, we talked about that earlier, like including and acknowledging the work that our parents did is is an easy thing to do. You know, the example I use is um, with boundaries, but also just with in general, like when my mom is here and I include her in the decision-making processes that I know she's great at, right? So my mom is a great cook. So I incorporated her in decision-making for, hey, can you help me once a week come up with a meal plan for Ryan for the week? And she loved it, right? She felt so involved. She felt like she was a part of this. And then, you know, she can say, well, Mona, you know, maybe you should give this and then we can do like a pasta and then we do this. And it was just so nice seeing her eyes light up and having her feel like she was a part of it. And the example you give me just also seems like we're trying to, in a way, empower our parents and say, you know what, you did a good job. And like you said, you did such a good job that I feel like I'm such a, I'm going to be a great parent and I'm working through the, you know, the good and bad of being a parent that just watched me thrive in this role, right? Like watch me do what you, what you raised yeah. me to do so well, because you did such a good job. And I think that's such an important perspective perspective. And I think all the listeners listening right now are going to really find that useful because we commonly want to defend right? We want to say like, well, well, I want to do this and we're going to do this because I said so, because maybe our parents did that too. And maybe we're so defensive of what we want as parents, which is natural, but it's so nice to just start it out with, I just appreciate you. Can we just start with that? Like, I just really appreciate you, but you know, because I appreciate you so much, I want to say that, you know, I will do the best I can. You'll, I'll always ask you if I need help. Um, it's such a symbiotic relationship that way. And I think if we can approach it, it can really help solve a lot of those conflicts, like you said, in not every situation, but in so many ways. So you'd speak about it just so eloquently. And I, I, I love it. Thank you so much for that. Of course. One thing I wanted to add is um, just when it comes to to interacting with parents and we feel that judgment sometimes like, Oh, well, Jenny, why, why are you doing that? Sometimes it's more about their anxieties or their whatever curiosity, mm-hmm. 
whatever that we want to label it, stress, that actually what we're doing at, as parents. So sometimes the judgments have to do with them and not anything to do with us. So try your best, if that's happening, to not take it personally because yes. it's so, so, so important to not let that ruin your day or ruin that net, that time while you're together because of that one comment or that one brief little uh, rough interaction. The example I want to give on that is um, crying. So my, all my, the grandparents, so two sets of, you know, grandparents, they don't like hearing my son cry and it's cultural also, but it's also, that's what they did for us. At the minute he starts crying, they get very visibly, palpably uncomfortable. And we know our son that we know what the cries mean. We know that sometimes it's okay to just leave him to cry because he's older and we understand his needs. We understand his moods, um, but they, it drives them nuts. Today, for example, my son was taking a little longer to go down for a nap and my mom kept coming out of the room and she's like, do you need me to go in there? And I said, mom, just give him some time. I promise you he'll go down. And she kept coming out like every two minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, and she has this nervous look on her face. And she's like, but Mona, do you think we should go? Like, do you want, do you think he lost his pacifier? I'm like, mom, trust me, he'll go down. I know him. Right. And then lo and behold, 10 minutes went by and he finally went down. And it's, it's so interesting to see that, like you said, visibly see that anxiety. And it's such a great comment because it's not you, it's them, right? It's, it's their own reservations. It's their own insecurities that it's not about what me they're not upset that I'm letting him cry they just they don't want to hear him cry maybe there's something in their childhood or maybe there's something that happened for them that that makes them uncomfortable but it's not always about us it's not always about our parenting being poor it's just something that they're just dealing with themselves and oh this is such a great conversation because I think recognizing that makes the relationship with that person that you know the grandparent a little more easier to handle you know absolutely I just think trying your best to not take on whatever that anxiety is yeah. and not take it personally personally can help you so much and help you enjoy just life so much if you can just hold that personal boundary for you, yourself like your own mental boundary i will not take this on because this is not about me which is very hard to do very very hard to do oh i love that well this was a great example the next one i had was one we kind of mentioned earlier. So an effective way to intervene or talk to a loved one, doing something we don't necessarily do for our kids. So you gave the example of no screen time an hour before bed for your son. So things like giving certain sweets, I'm going to use the word junk food. I know some people don't like that term, but you know, certain sweets, certain foods, um, screen time, spanking and discipline. Like if they, you know, do something different, um, how can we intervene? How can, what are some kind of maybe scripts that we can say when that's starting to happen? So this is another one where we're going to say, what can we be flexible on? And what's a hard no, what's a hard boundary. It's rigid. We're not going to be flexible at all. Um, cause we want to pick our battles, right? Especially with the holidays, especially when we do special things. Um, we want to really figure out what's important, what's not. Let's check our internal barometer to figure out what's going on. Um, so I like to call the hardline ones, your deal breakers. These are a deal breaker. This is a deal breaker. So one thing that was brought up was spanking. So in my family, no one in my family will be spanking my child. So that's a line. It cannot be crossed yeah. and it warrants immediate intervention. So for things like that, that warrant immediate attention 
an intervention, I would recommend staying as calm as possible and physically placing yourself or your hand between the person and your child. So this can be done if someone's going to spank your child, if if you see a cousin that's raising their hand to hit your child, you just will calmly, in the most Janet Lansbury tone possible, say, I cannot let you spank my child. I cannot let you hit my child. And you can tell your child that I cannot let you hit your cousin. Um, so as much as possible, leaving the shame out of it, because shame is such a heavy emotion, just in a calm, factual tone. I cannot let you whatever it may be. And then uh, just as calmly putting yourself physically in between communicates a physical boundary. So not only are you setting a verbal boundary, hey, I'm not okay with this, but you're physically putting yourself in between uh, as calmly as possible. For things that you can be more flexible at, like let's say candy, screen time, I would just verbally set a limit. And then you're going to, it's on me to monitor. So here are a few examples. So my child can have one cookie, but no more. Or we normally don't allow screen time, but since this is a special occasion, my child can watch 15 more minutes. And then hopefully that boundary is respected. And sometimes it's not. Um, Especially if my son had it his way, like he would be like, mom said 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Just 15 more minutes just 15 more minutes. Um, so it's up to me to keep that boundary I set with him too. Um, but it, so if the, the boundary, the limit is not respected, calmly restate it, and then you're going to have to take appropriate actions. So sometimes that's, um, removing the cookies, uh, taking your child to another room when screen time is happening and you ask them not to watch anymore. So it's not very fun, but, uh, Sometimes with boundaries, you just have to be the bad guy, especially with your kids. Um, I should have talked about this earlier, Mm -hmm. but consistency is key, especially with boundaries. And that goes universally for everyone. So if you set a boundary and it's one of your hardline boundaries and you are flexible about it later on, it's going to be that much harder to set the boundary again. So you may have a boundary of we don't let um, our in-laws or our parents show up unannounced and they do it and you set the boundary and they do it and you set the boundary and then you let them in one time unannounced. Uh, All that work you put in setting the limit just went out the window. And so it feels really uncomfortable and kind of icky to do it because you're disappointing people and you're being mean, which you're really not. You're just holding firm to your boundary. Um, But consistency is key with boundaries. So that's why it's so important going back to really checking in with yourself. What is, why am I drawing this boundary? Why is it important? Um, And if it's something I can be flexible on, great. And if it's something I can't be flexible on, I really need to be consistent and hold firm to this because, oof, once a boundary is crossed and we just give a little, it's so much harder to make up all that lost work that we've done. My example for the boundary that I kind of am leaning lenient about, my mother-in-law loves showing him baby shark. It's like <laughs> her thing. She thinks it's the best thing. And look, Ryan loves baby shark. So when my mother is here, my mother-in-law is here, once a day, I allow her to show him baby shark. I said, mom, one time, but that's it. And I don't like screen time that young. I don't even, Ryan has not seen a single other screen besides baby shark right now, right? Because he's, he's an 11 month old and I'm very, you know, I'm very 
reserved on screens um, as a pediatrician. There's so, a lot of research. <laughs> yes, but I but I allow it because it's two minutes and she stops, right? Or whatever, one minute and a half. And she <laughs> stops it and it's done and we move on. And she's not, she wasn't here, for, she was here for a week, right? So if one day she does Baby Shark, I'm okay. Now, if it was three months that she was living with us, different story for me. But I chose the boundary, right? I chose that, is this really going to end my end Ryan's development if I allow two minutes? But the problem... you we have to do as parents is like you said, hold that boundary. And it's not like, well, 15 minutes or two minutes becomes 15, 15 becomes an hour. And then it's just the boundary's gone. That's what I worry about with parents because they just, it becomes a thing. And then they're like, well, okay, they did it. It makes them happy. Let's just keep doing it. So I appreciate you saying kids holding are, to the boundary that you guys decide. Kids are very, very aware socially. And so if they catch on to, Oh, if I scream about this, oh, if I just ask 300 times and then I get it, well, the next time they're going to do it 301 mm-hmm. times. So um, they are, I feel like society does not give them as much credit for how emotionally aware they are, how just uh, attuned they are, especially to their caregivers. They know everything. <laughs> And they know early. And, and here's the thing. They know very early. Like Ryan also, he now sees the, like, so I play the audio of Baby Shark and he will stand up and try to look at my phone because he knew yeah. that when, when grandma was here, she, 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 he saw a video, right? <laughs> and I don't show him the video, but he literally will jump up and like pull to stand, pull to stand and try to come to my phone and grab my phone so he could look at it because he remembered that. And I agree. And that's why it's so important to, to remember how smart kids are and how in a nice way they're manipulative as all can be. They know, they know who's going to be the one to break down. They're no, they know who yeah. the one that's going to be like, well, they, if I cry enough, they're going to, you know, break their boundary. So I love that you brought that up because it's so important to remember that. And when I find struggles with parenting and boundaries, and like you said earlier with behavior, it's when there is not that united front and grandma is being super lenient on things when the parents are all the way on the other end. And they're like, well, why, you know, why does he do this with grandma and not with me? And why does he do this? It's like, what's, what are we doing in terms of the boundaries across the board? So such an important thing. I did want to get to what you had mentioned about the holidays coming up, right? We are recording this in November. Um, I'm hoping to release it before the holidays. Um, There's a few things about the holidays that I want to go through. One is those grandparents that demand a hug or kiss from children. And I think our generation is kind of starting to understand that why that's not always the best thing. Um, We want to teach our children that they're not required to hug or kiss someone, that they are in control of if they want to kiss someone, if they want to hug someone, that's on them. So how can we communicate that with grandparents? Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Part of my um, work was with children who have been violated. Yeah. Their boundaries have been violated. So it's so important and it starts so young. Um, So I think the rule of thumb, the theory that we can function on is we don't force affection and we welcome it when it is offered. Mm. So if we can just hold on to that affection is not forced, it is welcomed when it's offered. Uh, We can have a whole new way of looking at the grandparent demanding a hug or a kiss. So as caregivers, um, it's our responsibility to teach our children about consent. And that starts very young. So it's it's really done simply by giving them the message. You're con- you're in control of your body and you are the gatekeeper of your body. 
So I know that especially with holidays coming up, people want to give hugs and often it's a, a demand. Go give. Yeah. Go give grandma a hug. And if we can just reframe it, even if it is grandma says, give me a hug, go come give grandma a hug. If we can flip it around and frame it as a question for our child, that's starting to give them the power uh, over their own body that you are in control of your body. So would you like to give grandma a hug? Just giving that option to them. You can say no, right? You can say no, you cannot give. I do not want to give grandma a hug. Or you can say, yes, I do want to give grandma a hug. And then if your child declines hugs, that's okay. Uh, My son often declines hugs and that's okay. And I let him know, it's okay. You don't feel like giving a hug right now. And let that family member know, let grandma know um, your child is in control of their body. So you can say, I, um, I, would you like to give grandma a hug? Okay, no, I hear you don't feel like hugging right now. Do you want to give a high five instead? And so give another option. So, okay, we're not going to force you to give a hug. Do you feel like giving knuckles? Do you feel like giving a high five? What's another way that we can connect? So what, why grandparent is asking for a hug or a kiss is because they want to connect with your child. They want to have that um, closeness with them. So what's, what's the alternative that we can do? One thing that's really, really important, though, for family members to avoid is to pout or cry to try to coerce your child into giving affection. So I know a lot of people will go, oh, I'm so sad that you don't want to give me a hug. And that's that is the prime way that you can set your child up to be groomed by someone with bad intentions. So if a family member were to pretend to cry or pout in order to get that affection, that's the time to really set a firm boundary. I know you really want a hug from them and I heard them say no. Hey, what's another way that we can show affection to each other? How can you guys show each other love? Um, Because it is so important for them to get the message, them, the child, to get the message that you are in control of your body. You Mm -hmm. allow who comes in and out of your personal space. And then it's it's really important for us to keep in mind, it's never a child's job to make the adult feel better. So if that adult gets hurt feelings, even if it's done in a gentle way, I know you want to hug. They said no. Um, it's not up to your child to make them feel better. So really to take that responsibility away from them, because I think sometimes we, going back to, we don't want to disappoint people. So um we might make our child give that hug or we might make them do something they don't want to. But uh, I'm a big believer in our gut is never wrong. And we want our children to trust their guts from a young age. So if they say no, we need to trust them about this. Other things, no, needs to not be a negotiable, but about boundaries when it comes to your body, no is a no. Have you heard about the terrible twos or three-nagers? Yes, the toddler years can be tough. There is no denying that any phase of parenting can be really hard. There may be picky eating, tantrums, and struggles with potty training. But there is a lot of amazing things that you will see your toddler do during these years. 
I want you to enter the toddler years understanding toddler development and behavior so you can better approach tricky situations with your child. With resources on picky eating, potty training, tantrums, and other common toddler behavior like sleep refusal and toddler development, the toddler resources here at Peds Doc Talk aim to provide you with the knowledge you need to, dare I say, find some or a lot of enjoyment in the toddler years. For more on my on-demand courses, make sure to visit pedsdoctalk.com and check out resources for whatever you need. Have a friend? It also makes a perfect gift. Visit pedsdoctalk.com and click courses for more. You made it halfway through an episode, so you must be loving the show. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel where I share answers to all of the common topics submitted to me regarding child health, development, and debunking all that misinformation you hear online. My goal is for PDT to be a one-stop shop for your searching needs. Bye-bye late night Googling. So make sure to go to YouTube and search Peds Doc Talk TV. Hit that subscribe button and binge watch all the amazing episodes and episodes to come. Have suggestions for future videos? Make sure to chat in the community section on my YouTube channel. This is so important. And again, this is also, I see common from generation to generation, right? Meaning our parents, they did this commonly. And now we understand more, you know, becoming a pediatrician and realizing more about, um, you know, giving children control over their bodies and the choice. It's so important. And with the holidays coming up, I think that's a great example. The other thing I wanted to talk about um, for the holidays, I am very aware and I know the holidays can be very triggering for people and children who are concerned about their body image or concerned about their weight. All of it can also come with people getting together and maybe a grandparent or a relative commenting on our child's weight can be extremely triggering for us, especially if we also dealt with that as a child and even if we didn't deal with that as a child. So what is something that we can say to the family member when they are making comments about our child's weight and we don't like that and I don't think people should be commenting on weight in general. So absolutely. What, so what can we say to these family members so that we can set that healthy boundary? So one thing I want everyone to remember, when someone makes a comment about weight, it's mostly, if not wholly, rooted in their own anxieties. Yeah. So if someone's making a comment about, about someone being too skinny or too big, um, it's almost always rooted in an anxiety that they have in themselves. And so... This is one of those try not to take it personally. It does hurt. It is uncomfortable. Um, but it's just it's just so important to remember that this most likely is about them and not about you or your child. But I agree. It's widely recommended that we just stop talking about anyone's appearance. Um, yes. We place way too much weight on that and we are creating a very unhealthy narrative. Yes. It is really dangerous. So much so. I mean, it's still, and it still happens. And we're actually guilty of doing it too in our generation. I'm not even blaming just the grandparents. I know I do it all the time, subconsciously and consciously. I would say the best way to deal with a grandparent who's commenting, family member who's commenting about weight is to suggest that they try to highlight things that they like about the child or that they notice about the child that has nothing to do with their appearance. So, oh, um, what do you think about their curiosity or the determination to figure out that puzzle? Um, so the goal is to help the narrative become that we're celebrating all types of bodies and we want 
all types of bodies represented in and out of our home, right? The shows we watch, the books, we read the people we talk about, the people we're around, we would love to have um, all types of bodies celebrated and to let your families know that uh, this is not a narrative we want to go down. Um, I think it's important for family members to understand how early disordered images and disordered eating, disordered body images and disordered eating is starting. It's earlier and earlier and it's on the rise in males too. Um, so to just let them know, hey, the comments you make have significant impacts and you could unintentionally hurt your grandchild, your who, whomever it may be in the long run. So really to cut that conversation short, I hear what you're saying um, and give them a fact. And it may be, I know, I have friends who are on two spectrums. So I have friends who have had their kiddos um, qualify for failure to thrive, despite the fact that they have done absolutely everything possible to make sure their child is nourished and well taken care of. And then I have have some friends who their children are um, being watched for obesity and they have to monitor every single thing their child takes in their body. Um, and they can't have snacks at play dates and they can't, which is tough. Um, and I know there's so much shame, so much shame around that for both parents. Both parents are anxious. They feel like they failed their child because their child qualified for fa failure to thrive or their child is now borderline obese or obese. So if um, you feel like this family member is safe enough, let them know this is something I'm working on with my doctor. Um, and this is something that's really hard for me. Or you could even, if your pediatrician is comfortable with this, say, would you like to come with me to that doctor's appointment? And that may help that parent or that grandparent with those concerns. Because again, going back to this is rooted in their own anxiety. Um, but if it's something where your sweet great aunt makes a comment about how you're holding on to the baby weight and that is just unhelpful, you have every right to just say, like, I don't want to talk about this. You have every right to um, set a physical boundary, which would be maybe making up an excuse. You have to walk away yeah. or actually saying this is not I don't want to talk about this. I'm going to take a break um, because it, again, is something that is rooted in the commenter's anxiety and most likely not an issue with you and if it is like the examples I gave with my friends really setting a boundary around that this is a sensitive topic I'm working with healthcare professionals around it and I really do not want to discuss it anymore I love the example or the suggestion you said about walking away um what what I actually do and I learned this and I thought it was amazing I was getting into a argument with my dad and I could sense that it was going it's getting triggered right like we were the voices were escalating and I knew I needed to deescalate and so I you know I calmed myself and I said you know what dad I'll be right back Ryan needs to get a diaper change he didn't need a diaper change so I I picked him up and I took him upstairs to just calm myself down. I, you know, just played with him a little bit upstairs and then I came back and I use that example because if you're able to, you know, I'm not saying you should use your child to get out of a situation, but if you need to remove yourself, it's important to do that because you, you really don't want to go into a place of, you know, yelling and why do you always say this? Why do you always comment on my child's weight? Why do you always do this? You really want to say, 
okay, I need to take this moment. I need to remind myself that this isn't about me, that it's probably, like you said, something deeper rooted in that person. And I'll be right back. And if it's on your own, you just come quickly. But remember, like, like Jenny said, um, you want to be very calm in your exit. You don't want to stomp your feet. You don't want to be upset. You want to just calmly say, you know what, I'll be right back. Um, we'll continue this conversation. But I love that advice. Um, Absolutely. And one thing I like in your example is you actually took a break and did something to regulate yourself. So playing with Ryan is going to bring you joy, right? Yeah. You're going to fire off all those neurotransmitters that are going to help you calm down. I'm assuming oxytocin is going to be firing away while you're playing with your adorable child. Yeah. So if you can do something like that, where you are taking a break and at the same time regulating yourself, even if it's like taking a break and doing 15 super deep breaths yeah, just to regulate yourself and re- physically reset your body, you will enter back into that situation with a whole new mindset. And Jenny, I know we could talk about this for another two hours, but you know, people ask me to keep the episodes under an hour. So I have one last question for you. <laughs> it's so funny. I could talk about this kind of stuff. This is so important. But the last question has to do around the holidays, but also just because we're in the middle of this pandemic. Um, and I'm sure you've talked to so many clients about this, how to set boundaries around COVID. Some family members may not have the same social distancing practices. Some may not take it as seriously. So what should a family do in this situation? I mean, this is something we're experiencing now. Every family that we normally interacted with has a different comfort level. Some feel much more comfortable going out and living life as normal as possible. And some are feeling a lot less comfortable. So I know for one, our family's trying to follow CDC recommendations and we're having major FOMO missing out on a lot of opportunities um, so I think it's important what I've talked about continuously is to clearly cl- communicate with everyone what your boundaries are. So what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with, do big gatherings feel right? No. Okay. Let's let our family members know, Hey, this year we're not going to be joining X, Y, and Z because we feel like this is the best choice for our family at this time. Yeah. And then to ask the family member that you're setting that boundary with to respect your choices, just like you are respecting theirs, right? You're not saying, well, come on, just wear a mask. Like, why aren't you wearing a mask? You're saying, okay, that's the choice you're making. Um, We're not going to go play in the family football game because you're not wearing a mask. Um, We're just going to say, this is a choice that we're not going to make for our family. Just like I'm asking you not to put your values onto me. I'm not going to put my values onto you. Um, sometimes the best thing that you can try to do is find a compromise. So normally you guys sit inside and drink hot cocoa by the fire and read, um, Christmas books together. Well, can we shift that to outside? Can we do a bonfire instead and read the book outside and everyone wears a mask unless they're drinking their hot cocoa? Um, can we do a family walk together instead is everyone open to getting a COVID test and quarantining the best they can until we meet? Um, can we find a compromise to make sure that everyone feels safe? And yes. sometimes that may not happen. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're disappointing people and that's okay. And I think getting to a place where you can accept that you are going to disappoint people or may, you may not, but you may disappoint people. 
and it is what it is, is so much easier than being super anxious over, are we going to get sick? Are we going to accidentally make our family members sick? Are we going to fight about this? If we can just accept, I may disappoint people and that's a bummer and I wish it weren't the case, but because this is such an important value that I hold, the health and safety of my family and others, that I'm willing to hold my value above disappointing people. Yeah. And it's a big one right now. And trying not to convince other people on what they should do and trying not to convince yourself from what other people are telling you. You know how you gave the example, like, well, I'm not, you're not going around telling someone to wear a mask if they're not. I don't want a parent coming into my office to feel pressure to do something that they're not comfortable with, that their gut isn't telling them. So even on my Instagram, like me and my husband, we go to a gym masked, right? We, we do certain things. We go to outdoor restaurants, but I always try to tell my followers, I'm like, guys, like this is really important to recognize that what I'm doing, I do not expect everyone else to do. And I don't want you to feel bad for not doing, for doing less, as long as you're taking this virus seriously, right? As long as you are weighing your risk and benefit in every situation. And I would hate that like two people are coming together and one person is like, you know what? I don't feel comfortable. And then they're like, come on, you should do it. Just do it. And then that person feels guilted into doing something. And then God forbid someone gets sick. That guilt, that guilt is very heavy to live with. So my opinion is always whoever is the most reserved, whoever is most concerned in their social distancing practices, or, you know, is more nervous or whatever about COVID should really have the say in the situation in many ways um, to say, you know what, I don't feel comfortable with this. So I'm just going to step back without being told, well, come on, everyone else is getting together. We should just do it. You're missing out because I'm finding going back to this whole people pleasing. We don't want to disappoint. It's, it's what people end up switching their mind for. And I don't want you to go into that event feeling like so uncomfortable. So I always say like, Mm -hmm. if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to go to that baby shower, if you're feeling off about something, if you're even questioning it, there's something, there's a part of you that's telling you it's not right. So listen to yourself and say, you know what? Something's not right about this. I don't feel good about it. And trust your gut and set that boundary for yourself. And I don't want you to feel pressure to do something that you don't feel comfortable with as a parent, because that's our job to protect our families, protect ourselves, protect our children. And it could look many different ways for many different people this holiday season. Um, And so really, it's just trusting yourself. Your gut is rarely wrong. So really, if your initial response is like, no, then um, no matter no matter how much FOMO you have, no matter how much your friend or family wants you there, um, if your gut is telling you no, just trust your gut. Oh, Jenny, this was such an amazing conversation. I asked you earlier, but you have an Instagram, Jenny West Mayor LMFT. I'm going to add it to my show notes, but I know right now you're not fully active on it, um, but maybe one day you will be. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add or share before we wrap up? Um, so I, I mentioned Janet Lansbury before, but she has a wonderful quote that is boundaries are one of the highest forms of love. So give yourself permission, especially over the holidays to do what works best for your family. So it's again, setting this boundary, though it may feel uncomfortable is actually a form of love, which sounds, um, very silly and it doesn't sound congruent, but it, but it really is true. Boundaries are 
really loving. Um, and remember the holidays are overwhelming. So check your expectations, check the expectations you have for your kids, check the expectations you have for your family, check what your family's expectations are and make sure that everyone um, has realistic expectations. So COVID has made us shift our expectations this year and that is okay. And make sure to care for yourself. Last message, care for yourself during the holidays. It's always overwhelming and adding COVID in. Just set some time aside, lean into your partner, um, do whatever you can to really make sure your own anxieties are in check too and caring for yourself. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review, share it with a friend, comment on my social media. And if you're not already, follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram. Love doing this for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you soon. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.